Welcome to Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm Sam Dunning, a digital marketing, sales, and business growth evangelist. Tune in and subscribe today as I'll be interviewing business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. You'll be learning their story, how digital marketing has helped them along the way, and exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket your own business. And welcome back to a fresh episode of Sam's Business Growth Show. I'm delighted to be joined by Lisa Palmer today. Lisa, how are you doing? Sam, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on your show. Lisa, really excited to chat today. Now, I know you come from quite a unique perspective, as we, as we were talking about just before we hit record, that you've been on nearly at all ends of the sales and marketing spectrum. You've been a buyer, you've been a seller, and a few other bits and pieces in between. So there's going to be some exciting and interesting things we can talk about. Um, but before we get stuck into that and before we learn all things in terms of how you're generating sales, how you're marketing, how you're generating pipeline today, we'd love to learn a bit more about your background, really, Lisa. So a bit about your stories, kind of how you've grown up, some of the key highlights of your career and jobs that you've um, been involved in. And if you could share with us a few lessons that you picked up along the way, be it in sales, marketing or business in general, I'd love to hear it. Fantastic. So my, my background is a little bit unique. I started my career in IT and I was a practitioner for many years up to and including a chief innovation officer role, which was a combination role of chief information officer and chief marketing officer. So I've been all across the spectrum on the buyer side from a technology, um, from a technology viewpoint. Then, uh, then I went on to expand my career from a, from a sales perspective, because honestly, having been a practitioner for so many years, I felt like the way to get rounded in what I was doing was to have some opportunity to generate revenue and get on the other, you know, kind of get on the other side of the table. And so I took an enterprise selling role, obviously B2B sales for Microsoft, and I ran an enterprise territory for, for about six years. And absolutely loved that, uh, really enjoyed it. My biggest takeaway during that was how hard the internal sales part was. I really wasn't, I really wasn't prepared for all of the internal selling, meaning trying to find the right people to build your best, most powerful team to bring to your clients, uh, trying to get your sales leadership team behind the strategy that you create to onboard everyone to the process that you, you want to follow, and even down to getting through actual contracting with clients and all of the things that you had to do from a heavy lifting perspective inside of your organization to get that done. So the inside selling was probably the, the surprise and the clients were the easy part. That's interesting. <laughs> I've not heard that before. So closing the deals with the clients was okay. It was more internal politics, it sounds like. Well, and probably, you know, looking back on it now, that was probably because I really understood the buyers because I had spent all those years being a buyer, right? So Makes the, sense, yeah. Yeah. So when I look back on it now, I think, well, that's probably not that big a surprise that the challenge for me was learning how to manage um, the part of it that was new to me. Um, but that piece, the key takeaway for me was really about I went and found the best people I could find to be on my team, whether they were officially assigned to me or whether I just kind of made them part of my, part of my people. Um, then I, I really found tremendous value in that. And again, having that buyer's perspective, I was able, you know, I knew how critical it was 
to have those people that represent you in the best possible way uh, in front of that client and having those, those conversations. So, you know, if you have the opportunity as, as sellers to build out your team and to find the best people inside your organization, do it. <laughs> that's, that's my strong advice. Excellent. Okay. So, um, selling to clients was was okay and what what takeaways could you take because you've been on both ends of the spectrum Lisa how you said it was quite a lot easier to sell to clients but why was that because you had the background from the bias perspective so did you just know things that us as salespeople don't usually know well a lot of it is about focusing on the outcomes that that client needs to create so I'm I'm diligent about research. So I research the business. What, what's the business saying? What is the CEO saying in earnings calls? Are you listening to their earnings calls or at least you know, reading the transcripts? Are you understanding the, the industry challenges that are happening for them? And really you know, dig in and understand what their business environment looks like. And then for the individual prospect that you're speaking with, I want to dig in and research for that prospect too. I want to understand what their background looks like. Have they been there for a long time or are they new in the environment? Are they somebody that's super loyal to where they're at or have they been, you know, spending two years at a time at different places and they're really developing their career by moving and changing, really looking for a profile of that prospect. And, um, and then I'm looking to, create an, in a, a hypothesis around how my product or service will help them to meet those enterprise objectives. And so, you know, having sat in the buyer's chair, it's a lit, you know, that's what I'm looking for is I'm looking for the language that I can take to that potential prospect and help them to arm them with the language that says, if I go and do X, it is going to impact our, um, our corporate objectives in this way. And because as a buyer, you spend all your time with your head down, you're running operations, you're running from meeting to meeting, you're really spending all of your time being um, focused on keeping your business healthy and running, and you don't get to spend as much time being strategic and keeping your head up and looking forward as you all wish you could. And so as sellers, we can help them with that. We can, you know, we need to do the work, put in the work, do the research, create a point of view, and be able to bring that talk track to that potential buyer. It's tremendously helpful, and your uh, your prospects will appreciate the thought leadership assistance. Interesting. Okay. So for what you've said there, I'm taking away, making sure that you're customizing your solutions to actually show that the business impact they're going to have for your buyers. Um, is that, and is that all from proper research and discovery and things like that, Lisa? It is. I think that there's, there's a lot that we can learn um, by doing that top level research. And then of course, you need to dig in wherever possible and find out what's going on in that individual's mindset, in the company's mindset. There's so much information that's publicly available for, uh, I know Sam, before we, uh, before we went live, we were talking about uh, Sales Navigator and some of the basic tools that you can use to identify individuals that are going to be solid prospects for you, that are going to care about the offering and and the ideas that you can bring to the table. 
and you know, what about looking for somebody through Sales Navigator and then seeing what have they posted in the last 30 days? And you know, what, so, so that you get a little peek into their perspective about something that resonated with them, like, that they took the time to, to comment or like it or post, uh, post a blog or post or whatever, that case, whatever the case may be. Um, it's really about helping to meet them where they're at and then help them to expand the way they're thinking about um, solving a particular problem or creating value by bringing your own point of view into their perspective. Interesting. Okay. And we'll get into Sales Navigator a little bit later in, in the episode today. And we'll talk about what I'd like to talk about is if it's actually worth it and top tips okay. for anyone that wants to get stuck in. Um, now, what I would like to ask as well, Lisa, is uh, as, as you've been a buyer, are there any things that sales professionals tend to do that buyers absolutely hate? So are there any top tips that we can avoid that just really waste buyers' time? Absolutely. So the number one is if you show up having not done any preparation or research, I'm, I, I'm famous for telling a story that I had a salesperson who showed up completely unprepared and started to ask me questions that it was obvious they, he had done absolutely no reading or preparation whatsoever. And uh, he only spent seven minutes in my office that day. And so- Tough <laughs> No one wants to be that salesperson, right? So that's, that's tremendously, um, it's disrespectful to your buyers not to be prepared because they are incredibly busy and they have carved out time to give to you. That's a gift of their time when they, and there's a cost to them in giving that time to you. It's not being, it's not being applied elsewhere. And so that is, uh, to me, that's the number one way to turn off a buyer is to be unprepared in your conversation track. Got it. Makes sense. Okay, fair enough. All right, let's, let's move forward a bit in time. So we, we had the enterprise selling role in, in Microsoft. Um, what was, what was kind of next up in, in your career, Lisa? So I, I, I actually took a, a little deviation and ran um, a, a public sector uh, entity for a year. I have a tremendous passion around education. And so I spent a year doing a complete turnaround on a, on a business unit, the only business unit that needed to be profitable. So I was able to do that. We did that in, in 12 months and got, got into the back black with uh, people, process, and technology. So that was... Uh, I finally refer to that as my year of community service because it pays like that. (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I, I went into the next real um, portion of my life was as working at Gartner and running an enterprise, a delivery and sales organization that was focused on C-suite clients, entirely C-suite clients. So, over 700 uh, clients that were all in the C-suite that we were helping to advise. So when you think about it from a selling perspective, uh, in that role, we were actually advising the C-suite about purchases that they were considering making, uh, among other things that we advised on. But this was a a key element to help them to understand the learnings that we had on a mass scale uh, for the negotiations that took place. So 
it's really important to understand that in today's times, your buyers have a lot of, they have a lot of resources to, to check what you're putting in front of them. Is it a good deal that you're putting in front of them? They have peer networks that are very active that they can check. If you, uh, if you put a deal in front of one client that is excessively higher than what you offered another one, it's highly likely they will find that out. So you should do the right thing and treat your clients well because that's what you should do. That's the right thing to do is to treat our clients well. But if you, uh, if you need other motivation, you should know that your clients have a lot of resources to double check what's being put in front of them. So just one more reason for us to all be wise and ethical in the way that we treat our clients. Interesting. And I'm so, sure many people tuning in, and I know I have in my early days, is when you, when you get an inquiry or you get a prospect, you see the big logo, you know they're from a big company. Yep, I've just three times my quote purely because of the company itself. And uh, <laughs> like, like, like you say, when they're getting offers in from other companies and they, they see something that's three or four times higher in terms of price with no real value shown then alarm bells are probably going to be ringing, I'm sure. Exactly. And, and you don't want to undermine your own credibility by doing something like that. So just, be, you know, be wise about the way that you are treating and approaching your clients. I, I'm a huge believer in doing what's best for your clients and the money will follow. I, I really believe that to be true. And, and my career has proven that out. Yeah. And I guess with, with part of that comes, comes trust. So building that relationship, building that trust with your client. And then once that's established, then they're going to want to spend money with you, providing you're, you're getting them results on whatever product or service you're, you're offering them, I guess. Absolutely, Sam. I think it's really important that people know that you care about them as individuals. You want them to be successful. You want their organization to be successful. I, when my clients succeed, I love that. That makes me feel tremendously uh, fulfilled and successful myself to see my clients succeed. And and that care that you bring to the table, it translates. They know if you care or you don't care about their well-being. As, as humans, we have intuition around that. And there's, there's nothing more powerful than your buyer really, truly trusting you and knowing that you're going to put their, their needs at the front. Excellent. Excellent. No, I love that. Love that piece about genuinely caring about, about your clients and, and the work you do for them. Okay. And before we move on, is there any other lessons or insights that you could share with us and your experience in Gartner before we move things forward? Well, you know, one of the things that I think is really important for people to understand, and this is from another element of my life. I'm a, I'm a marketing professor and have been for over a decade. And one of the things I feel is really important for people to understand is that you have a public presence and you also have, you, you have the opportunity to build and drive exactly the career that you want to create for yourself. Um, but not only do you have a an opportunity, you have a responsibility to be, um, to, be a, a, to be a positive voice in the world for yourself, for your organization, and for the clients whom you serve. So uh, from a takeaway perspective, I always encourage people to Make sure that you're leveraging, like LinkedIn is a super powerful personal and professional branding tool. Make sure that you're being thoughtful about how you use it. Be invested in um, thinking through the career that you want and what is the next step that you need to take to build that. 
and, and really make sure that you are committing to your own personal growth. Excellent. Excellent points. Okay. So um, before you go to, to what you're doing today, Lisa, I know um, you're also, as well as buying, as well as selling, you're also into marketing yes. and um, into storytelling as well. So um, for anyone that's thinking, how the heck do stories come into sales or marketing? How is that even relevant? All I need to do is kind of preach my product or look what I need to do and there's, there's nothing more to it. Could you share, shed a bit of light of why um, stories can be quite useful when it comes to marketing or sales or, or business in ger general and, and the role that they, they have to play? Oh, absolutely. So having been in the technology sector for, uh, for the bulk of my career, one of the ways that I like to describe myself is as a translator. And what that means is that I often find myself in the role of taking a very technical topic and being able to translate that into business speak and into business outcomes. And the easiest way to do that is to do that through storytelling. We have a client who previously had this happen and really lay out the experience of what you had another client that did and the challenges that they faced along the way and the frustration that was involved for them. Um, and then the turning point, you know, creating the turning point of the story where they really started to see light at the end of the tunnel. And of course, that turning point, it can, can wrap around the product or, or solution that you're bringing, uh, that you're bringing forward. And there's just nothing as powerful as as telling something very real and true about what others have been through, the journey that they took, and how they came out the other end in a much more positive place than where they found themselves at the beginning. So that storytelling process is incredibly powerful and draws people in. And so what I like to do is to have conversations that start with a story like that about a client and something that they faced instead of doing uh, a, a litany of discovery questions, kind of where people feel like they maybe are being, you know, bulleted mm. with, uh, with questions that are coming at them. If you lay out a story and then have, you know, have the confidence to just let the story sit, the client will tell you a story of their own. And then you get a much deeper understanding of where they're at, what their challenges are, and how you know you get a much better feeling for their culture and some of the other elements that are at play than going through um, a scripted question and answer discovery meeting. Love that. Okay, and I've I found success myself actually since I've started reading more, started listening to more podcasts, started doing more interviews. I found that stories to be really effective, especially when I'm doing demos, when I'm doing presentations, and I think of um, when a client, for example example gives me a particular problem then nowadays I've, I've got different case studies that I can relate to so I can bring that up and say yep we had a client that had this issue um, they, were, they, were, they were doing x y and z so they had this problem they overcome we implemented this solution so in my case a digital marketing solution um, and it helped them get to, to this new stage so yeah starting with a similar problem how they overcame it and the future state of where they are today and it's, it's been really useful because it's yeah, certainly with me, it helps me visualize. And I think some of my prospective clients that are now customers it's helped them visualize rather than just saying we can do X, Y, Z, giving them tangible cases where you can actually wrap a story around it and customize it to them is something that's, that's added a lot of value into what I'm doing. But it's interesting you should say, Lisa, that you're using it early in the conversation, even when doing discovery, 
So how would that actually play out? Um, so rather than questions, actually starting with a story, just to give us a, a quick example. So for anyone that's familiar with, with the challenger sale, selling methodology, uh, one of the key tenets to that is creating a hypothesis. And I, although I don't adhere strictly to any particular methodology, I love that idea that you need to have a hypothesis because, or a point of view. I like to think of it as creating a point of view. So if you've done the research and you've looked at their business and their industry and the individual prospect, you've got a general, you should have some idea of a story that will resonate with them. So uh, early in the conversation, you can use a story versus a stated point of view or a stated hypothesis to, uh, to open that dialogue and say, okay. so as you were describing, Sam, that, that formula that, that you like, where you, you know, lay out what their pain point was, what the solution was, and then how that, how the future looks more positive, you know, something along that line, if you have done your homework and you've done the research, then you ought to be able to um, find or find a story in amongst your peers in your organization that you could tell that will help them in that particular situation. So it's, it's a different way to do discovery, but I have found it to be very powerful. Interesting. Interesting. And on that topic, if we haven't got case studies ourselves, which I'd say is especially useful, especially if you're going to get into storytelling, because you want relatable clients that you can say, look, we did X, Y, Z for this client. And that's how it's relatable to your customized solution. What should we be doing, Lisa? Should we be going to our colleagues to perhaps management and just saying, look, can you share with me case studies for different scenarios so then I can bring these into play in my sales conversations in the future? Absolutely. So the, the stories don't have to be your own. The stories um, can come from others in your organization. They can come from your leadership team. They don't even have to be formalized case studies. You know, these could literally be anecdotal stories about a, a situation that existed with a prior client. And so it's very important for you, if you're new in your environment or you're selling something you're, you haven't sold in the past, it's, it's important for you to, uh, to go looking for those stories that you can tell and to get comfortable and confident with the stories that you, that you find so that you can really, you can tell those stories in such a way that it draws in your, your audience. And that takes a little bit of practice. So and um, many people from a selling perspective have experience doing role plays. A lot of us have never role played in the storytelling space. And so I would encourage you to, as you're finding these stories, do some role playing and, and test your stories out until you own them and you feel confident delivering them just as you would during doing any other type of a role play. Love it. Love it. Okay. Well, there's, there's been some great tips in, in the storytelling front. So storytelling put to bed, excuse the pun. Let's move on to marketing. Um, so you're now, you're now at Teradata and I know you're, you're handling some, some high quotas there, Lisa. So you work with multi-million dollar deals. Um, yes. So what our audience really wants to know is how are you generating this pipeline? So I know um, LinkedIn perhaps uh, becomes a, a part of that, but perhaps you could share with us perhaps some of the digital channels and some of the offline channels that you've had success with to, to really drive revenue and help you hit these big quotas. Yes, absolutely. So inside of a B2B selling environment where you have massive enterprise clients, we think of prospecting as, 
as breaking into new parts of the business. So obviously we already have an account team that's servicing the existing business that we have in these enterprise accounts. But our goal, as with any other go-to-market team, is to expand our footprint inside of these accounts. And so um, I use several tools to, to help me in that effort. So, uh, you know, the researching piece is live and well across every piece of prospecting that I work on. So once I identify a part of the business that I feel like is going to benefit from our, uh, from our solutions, then I start to do some research using things like Sales Navigator, um, really digging in on that particular prospect. I have benefit because we are an enterprise seller of knowing what their email addresses are likely going to be, right? So I can, uh, so I can send emails, I can interact directly through LinkedIn, I can, um, so for example, I recently had a situation where I had a group of individuals inside of one of our enterprise clients that I feel strongly that we have an offering to help them with. And so I was looking up the background on some of the, these individuals and I came up across a gentleman and was reading his background on LinkedIn. And I noticed within just a few minutes, he had read my profile. He had looked at mine. And so okay. I reached out to him immediately through LinkedIn because we were, we were both literally um, active at the time and made an offer for them to get engaged with us on the education front. Um, and now we, you know, we, so we secured a conversation with him in the same day that I was doing research on him. So um, that's a particular example of a way to, to use things like, uh, like Navigator and, and LinkedIn. If you don't have Sales Navigator, you can still do a ton of research and interactivity without that through, uh, through the LinkedIn yeah, I was going to say, Navigator is not something, Sales Navigator, um, for anyone that's not tuned in, is basically a paid extra feature that you can bolt onto your LinkedIn profile. It's not something we've really discussed much of the show. We've chatted a lot about LinkedIn in general um, and how um, guests have had success with it. But would you say that Sales Navigator is a crucial tool? Because I know my, I myself, I don't use it. I've used it in the past, but I've recently switched off. So is it something that's only key if you're doing enterprise selling, if you're doing kind of slightly more transactional stuff, it's not as necessary? You know, I'm a big fan of Navigator. There are several capabilities inside of it that are either made possible or, or simplified by using Navigator. So you can do, if, if I were in more of a transactional selling environment, you would be able to use it at, um, at, for bulk identification of individuals by keywords, by titles, et cetera, that would be uh, that would potentially be targets for you. Inside of the B2B space, I'm able to do things like very quickly get a view into what's something they've posted in the last 30 days so that I can you know, really get in alignment with their mindset and reach out to people on a topic that will resonate with them. So there's, there's several things that Navigator brings to the table that you can leverage, but it's one more tool, right? So just like... <laughs> it's a matter of what your process is and how you learn to leverage what's available. So, you know, you may be able to get to that information in a different way through a different tool, but it, it is part of my process. Yeah, fair enough. I guess it's a quick way of getting real detailed data on your prospects and be able to tap in and get, get that on a real modular basis rather than having to use several different tools and 
waste more time. Okay, interesting. Um, and are there any other channels, uh, at least, that have, have been successful to you that you can share with us in terms of bringing on board um, new business or more, more business within existing accounts? Well, I can tell you that I have been experimenting with video lately, um, okay. particularly during the pandemic. So, like, literally very short videos um, that I am embedding in, um, particularly in email. I, I have much, much higher actual read rates of those that include video. So I, I happen to use a tool called Vidyard for recording. Yep. Um, I, I have had very high uptake in, in the opening of those emails and the reading and watching of those videos. So I do keep them short and pointed and it's part of an overall touch campaign, but I do really like the, uh, the addition of the video element. Interesting. I've just started using Vidyard myself, actually. I should use it a bit more. Um, funnily enough, I had Richard, on the Richard Harris on the show just before this one, and we were talking about breakup emails, but I've actually been using Vidyard videos embedded in emails quite a lot as a breakup sequence. So if someone stops responding to me, I just put a really polite video along the lines of, hey, Jeff, um, we were talking some time ago about your digital marketing inquiry. Um, is it no longer a priority? If, if so, no worries. A absolutely fine. Just let me know. Or if it is something you want to pick up, kind of let me know. Something short and sweet doesn't have to be necessary right. about that topic. But the response rate has been really, really good. Like better than I expected because I've never done much video and email. So it's quite interesting to see rather than just a bog standard plain text email, the, uh, the response rates are good. I, I'm not surprised to hear that that's your experience. It's so much more genuine, right? So no matter mm. how, how uh, we try to craft an email with exactly the right words, there's nothing as sincere as just listening to what you just said um, from a breakup, you know, from a breakup perspective. That's so much more real about just as a person-to-person -person communication um, you know, if I were to receive that, when putting myself back in the buyer's chair, I'd be much more likely to respond to you and say, hey, here's what's happened, you know. Um, so I, I, think it's a, I think it's a powerful tool to have in your toolkit. Got it. That's it. I think that's, that's the point that's coming across, just utilizing yeah. all the tools that at your disposal, I guess, whether that's LinkedIn, whether that's video, whether that's the phone or something else, whatever's most exactly. effective. And, you know, I've, I have people I interact with on Slack. I've got people I interact with on, you know, through text messaging or group text messaging. I've got one that's on WhatsApp. I mean, you know, it's, it's really about meeting people where they're at. So one of my favorite questions to ask is, what is your preferred communication method? So for me personally, anybody that has worked with me for any period of time knows if you leave me a voicemail on my phone, it will eventually just get deleted because I don't listen. I, I, I don't listen to voicemails. And when I was a buyer, I would blatantly admit that if anybody ever asked the question. Um, so it's about, I think that's a really important question. What's your preferred communication channel? you'll, people will tell you, oh, you know, I really like email, but I don't respond for 40, 48 hours. So don't get worried if I don't answer you quickly. But asking that question, whatever their answer is, um, really will help you through your selling cycle to make sure that you're meeting them where they're at. That's a really powerful question. Is that something you ask right at the start when you first start engaging with someone, Lisa? Yes. Yes, I do. I've never do. thought to ask that, even though it's so simple. And amazingly, I've had projects deals that I've won and 
for some reason, I'll start talking to someone on the phone, then I'll stop responding to my phone, then I'll move to email, then I might have moved to LinkedIn message, then I might have moved to WhatsApp, and in the end, they might seal the deal over email again. So it is strange how all these channels sometimes come into play. And if you'd asked that question at the start, you might have just made the process a lot easier for yourself, or myself in this case. And, and you find out where you're at too, because I love what you just described, because I think as, as your relationship matures and as you get closer to being um, in a trusted relationship with someone, they will do things like give you their cell phone number so that you can, you know, feel free to text message me, right? Or, or if there's somebody that uses a particular social media app, app to interact to interact with friends and all of a sudden now they want to talk to you there that that development of your relationship often impacts the communication vehicle that they're choosing to use with you so I do ask that question up front it gives me a lot of insight because they will tell me things like oh I never listen to my voicemail or you know I de- I'm delayed on email um, but you can text me and I'll get right back to you oh great can you give me that number so a lot of times they will tell you what their preferences are and what will happen is is that you can move through a couple of those first stages of the less intimate relationship more quickly by having asked that question and then they'll tell you what they really how they really want to communicate that's great that's powerful i love that so simple but so effective excellent stuff lisa wrap things up are there any um, habits that you've got that have um, helped you be successful? So whether they're just simple daily habits or whether they're things that you've kind of adhered to um, that have really helped you in terms of sales and in terms of your marketing success? So for me personally, every single day starts with reading. Every day I, I, read, um, I read things that impact my clients. I read things that are impacting their industries. I read things that um, I look for opportunities to share um, to share pieces that will be valuable to them. So I want to be able to just do a touch with my client that says, hey, saw this in the news this morning, want to make sure you were aware and how you think it impacts them. So, you know, just sharing something, they may go, how's that? I don't get it. Um, make sure that you are are giving them just a one sentence of why you think they care about it. And so now you're beginning to be somebody that is a valuable resource for them and educating yourself and staying current and aware as you're going along. So I want to be somebody that is a, that is truly a partner to my clients and do starting every day with that reading and looking for an opportunity to share something, um, if I, if I come across something I think is valuable to them, I don't want to spam people, uh, but I, I am constantly reading and educating myself. And I would say that that's the thing, um, particularly from a technology selling perspective, you have to stay current uh, to be valuable to your clients and, and, and frankly to yourself. So to me, that's, that is table stakes. It's two hours first thing in my day every day. Nice. Yeah, definitely completely agree, especially with the with the reading part or whatever way you like to consume content to uh, yeah, stay up to date and just, just educate yourself, whether it's sales or marketing or whatever you're involved in. That makes perfect sense. And I like the fact about sharing a little piece of content with your clients to kind of um, help with the trust side of things, I guess, and uh, perhaps shed some light on something they might not have known what's going on. Just uh, Exactly. And your your brand, you know, built from a brand credibility perspective 
every time you create or share something that's truly valuable to your buyers, you're building your brand, both as an individual and for your organization. Got it. Excellent stuff. Well, we like to ask everyone that comes on the show, Lisa, if you could thank just one person, either dead or alive, having a positive influence on yourself and your career, who would that be and why? Uh, Very early in my career, I worked for a gentleman named Joe Turcott. He was a vice president in the organization that I worked in who placed tremendous uh, faith in me. And uh, he was the first one who put me into a massive negotiation. I I did a $10 million software negotiation under his leadership. And it was, I learned tremendously from him in that process. And the fact that he placed that trust in me um, really buoyed my self-esteem and helped me to move down um, a path that that has led me to a very fruitful career. And I actually haven't spoken to him in years and am very grateful. I hope that that he knew at the time how much I appreciated his leadership and I still think of it today. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Well, everyone, you've been tuning into Sam's Business Growth Show, where we sit down with business leaders, experts, and entrepreneurs from around the globe. We find out their story, how digital marketing has helped along the way, and their exclusive tips and insights to help you skyrocket yourselves and your business. Um, Lisa, tell us a bit more about how people can learn from you, how people can connect with you, and the best way to get in touch. Of course. So I am happy to connect with anyone on LinkedIn. It's Palmer Lisa C on LinkedIn. Um, Please follow me there. I'm happy to to connect, to answer questions. I interact with people on that platform every single day. So feel free to reach out to me there. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Sam. Thanks for having me on. Thanks so much for coming on. Cheers. Are you tired of constantly hunting for new customers? You could be missing out on regular inbound opportunities, all because your website isn't on the first page of Google. Perhaps you're already spending lots of money on advertising, but your website is failing to convert all of your hard-earned visitors into a consistent flow of new customers. If you'd like to learn more about our unusual approach that brings idle clients straight to you, connect with Sam Dunning on LinkedIn or book a free 20-minute consultation via webchoiceuk.com. That's webchoiceuk.com. Subscribe today for more digital marketing, sales and business growth tips from the experts.